back. Hey, if you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. As I've told you, one of my favorite chapters. I love this chapter because the first seven chapters, I mean, there, there is some encouragement in the first seven chapters of Romans, but most of it is trying to share uh, with the reader the, the message of the gospel. And one of the greatest things to understand, you know, most of the time I talk about who Christ is, what he, what he came to do. But before you can really understand who Christ is and what he came to do, you have to understand who you are, right? And then when you understand who you are, then it makes sense who Christ is and what he came to do. But until you ever see who you are, then it's gonna be real hard. But that's what the first seven chapters have been about. Uh, the first chapter was, uh, of Romans was just sinfulness, right? Just sinfulness in our world and the dark, uh, the evil sinfulness that there is. The, um, basically, chapter two is, is kind of like the futility of religion, right? Uh, you can read it, it's, it's a pretty powerful chapter. It basically says those who follow a bunch of rules and regulations and do different rituals, that's not what makes a person right with God, right? And uh, the, the book of Romans is very clear that it's a message of grace. It's a gift that's given to you that can only be received by faith, right? And so it has nothing to do with you being religious or being a moral person. That's what chapter two is about. Chapter three brings us to this great summation that we're all sinners, right? For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So that all of us are in the same boat there, you know? And when I think about when I think about that, it's an amazing thing because our culture, the word, the, the S word is, is kind of become politically incorrect. And I don't, I don't shy away from using it at all, but the, the S word, when I mean sin, right? right? The S word that, that most people won't use, I don't have a problem with, right? Because it's what the scripture teaches. It's the reason that Christ came. And you know, interesting part, getting a good look at yourself is an incredible gift that very few people ever truly do. I believe, I believe it to be something that's it's a, it's a painful gift, but it's a gift when you're able to see yourself. Why? Because very few are able to see themselves. We have two eyes and we can see everybody else. But a lot of times we have trouble seeing ourselves. James, in the book of James in the Bible, it says, uh, it says about, it's like a man who beholds himself, his face in a mirror and when he walks away, he immediately forgets what he looks like. And it's the truth. We can see the struggles and maybe you know, sin, if you will, in other people's lives. But a lot of times we have a hard time seeing ourselves. But those who truly understand who Christ is, what he came to do, uh, then you, 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 have, you have gotten a good look at yourself. And that is a, that is a powerful thing. It drives you to who Christ is, right? What he came to do. So, you know, sometimes every once in a while, somebody will say to me, you know, you know, I'll be talking to them about, you know, what he says, well, I'm, you know, they'll say something like this. Well, I'm just as good as all those people down at the church. I said, <laughs> I'm like, so? You're probably better than all of them. I don't have any idea. What does that even mean, right? Why? Because we're all in the same boat. Guys, you and I don't tout how good we are. Why? Because we're not. Why? Because scripture teaches that there's nothing good in us. And anything good that comes out of us, he has brought it through us. And until we get a good look, I know who I am. I knew who I was before I became a believer. I was 21 when I became a believer. I knew what I was thinking. I knew where I was heading. I knew what I wanted to do. Not that I was going to be an axe murderer, but it was all centered around me, right? I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so I, I, it's an incredible thing to think on, you know? But to be able to see yourself, I know this sounds strange, right? But a lot of things I'm gonna say are sound, gonna sound strange at the beginning, but if you keep listening, you'll see them. But I, I'm, I'm actually, it actually thrills my heart when I see someone who is brokenhearted over their own sin, because I rarely come into contact with that anymore. But someone who is brokenhearted about their own sin, that's just obvious that God is at work in their lives, allowing them to see themselves. Because the clearer you see yourself, the more you're gonna trust God to work through you. I hope you see it. You see, it's real easy to see everybody else, but sometimes it's hard to see yourself. You know, it's just this weird thing, you know, 
When I, uh, <laughs> when I go, when I, I travel, you know, doing different things, going to different, have, be at different meetings or whatever. And, and it's so funny because when I go to the airport over at Tampa and I walk through, you know, the little security line and, you know, I've been in, gosh, I've been in, I've been in Florida for 20, I don't know, 25 years, whatever it's been, 23, four years, whatever it is. And so, you know, in Florida, they don't, they don't ask you to come in and keep taking your picture for your license. All right. At least they don't me anyway. So I go through the little security line and I hand them my ticket and I give them my driver's license as my ID and they look down at it and then they look back up at me. And I always say, I'm dying my hair gray, gray now, all right? Because it, they, they do it every time. Because I, I used to have blonde hair, in case you want to know, and that's what it was in the, in the picture when I first got here when I was 30-whatever, right? And so it's an amazing thing, right? Uh, because what do you mean by that, Jeff? Well, I mean this. When we were on time off, Martha took a picture of us. I forgot what she did, and she sent it to somebody. And when I'm on vacation, okay, I don't shave. Glory, hallelujah. I just, I don't shave. But, you know, and you, you know, I don't ever, you know, I just am not one. I just, I don't look, you know, at myself like that. And so, anyway, when, <laughs> when I saw the picture that Martha was sending to whoever she was sending to, I don't do any of that, she does. But she was sending it to somebody. And I looked at it and I said, I was almost to myself, who's the old guy um, <laughs> next to you, hun? Right, does that make sense? And because I still, think about this, I still have this vision in my brain that I still look like I did 25 years ago. Does that make sense? And, and every once in a while I look in the mirror, but most of the time I don't. I'd rather just live in denial that I still look like that. And, though, and so when you see a, a selfie like that or whatever it is, and then of course, when, when, my, when my beard grows, it's gray, like just like my hair, all right? So it, it, even, it even makes you look older. I, you know, and Martha does all the Facebook stuff and, and she, she looks up all kinds of, I, I just don't. The only time I ever see Facebook is when she turns it around and shows me a picture, right? Well, she found one of my classmates right? From high school. I played football with him. It's a great guy. Great guy. And, um, and, I was, and, he, and she said, she said his name. I said, do you know him? See, I went to high school with him. And she said, well, here's a picture of him. Turn it around. And my first response, you know what it is? Man, he's gotten old. <laughs> Guys, listen, but I don't think that about myself because I don't look at myself all the time. And you can, you can live, why? Because we have a hard time seeing ourselves. And when you can see yourself, it's a gift because it drives you to Christ. But when we live in denial, you come up with all this stuff like, oh, I'm a lot better than most of those people at the church and, you know, and all, you know, <laughs> You know, it's the, the age old, you know, I don't go to church, there's too many hypocrites. I well, come be one, one of us, you know, just come be one of us. Because it's not about who we are, it's about who he is in us. You're going to see it today, it's clear. So guys, that's one of those great, one of those great, if you will, keys to understanding. And, um, and that's what makes chapter eight, because first, chapters one through seven are, can be tough to read. But chapter eight is the encouragement chapter. It's the one that says to you, hey, do you know who you are in him? And that's why I love chapter eight. Chapter seven, the first seven chapters are pretty tough. We just ended up, right, two weeks ago, where Paul, even as a believer, he's saying, you know, I'm still struggling. And this is Paul. Okay? The one I believe to be the greatest Christian who ever lived. He's saying things like, the things I, the things I wanna do, I wind up not doing them. And the things I don't wanna do, I wind up doing them. What's that all about? You know, a wretched man that I am is what he said. And, um, and so we still have this struggle inside. If you're a believer, still, it's still a battle that goes on. But he wants you to know that's what chapter eight starts off with. He wants you to understand, even though you still struggle, 
Because if not, as a believer, you begin to think, because this battle still rages inside, and you begin to think, well, I wonder if I'm, I'm, I'm really a believer at all if all these things are still going on inside. Well, chapter eight is to, is to alleviate any of, any of the fears that you might have. So chapter eight is a chapter written toward believers as an encouragement and as an understanding so that you can understand who you are in Christ. Right? It also is a presentation of what Christ can do in a person's life. But the greater reason for chapter eight is for those who are believers. The first six chapters are there for those who aren't believers who need to understand. But chapter eight is really for those who are believers. So I've entitled today, Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. The great question is not whether you are free. The great question, if you're a believer here today, is do you realize that you are? You already are. You've been set free. And you'll see it because it explains it. That's what makes it such a cool chapter. It explains your freedom in Christ. Right? But the question is not whether you're free or not, is whether you, you're, are you living in it? Are you experiencing it? It is one of the great things that God wants for you. Galatians, in uh, chapter, chapter six, I believe, chapter five, it says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So he just didn't set you free, and that's a byproduct. No, it's something he wants you to live in and to enjoy is the freedom you have. Freedom is an amazing thing. It is one of the greatest testimonies that you and I can have if we learn to live in freedom. Freedom is attractive. Freedom draws people. I mean, look at our country. I mean, we got people, we got people, I mean, they're flooding into our country wanting to get here. They're talking about walls and how do you keep people out, I mean, all those things. Why do they want to get here? Because freedom is attractive. People live in freedom, yes, other people want to come. Of course they do. And so you have then this picture of what does it, what does it mean to be in Christ? All right, now, today, I, this, the title is Freedom in Christ. And go ahead, and it's not up here, but go ahead and put to the side part one, all right? I've already figured this a long time, but this is not going to get done, all right, all today, all right? There'll be a part two next week, because I just didn't want to go flying through some of these things without explaining them. Today is, is my favorite way to share, because today is, is we're just going to go verse by verse, and we're just going to explain right? And just let it speak to you. And if you have ears to hear, I can promise you it'll be impacting, not because I'm sharing it, but because the very words itself are so foundational and so impacting. So let's just let it speak, okay? Now, so I have four things I want to share with you, and I'm going to share with you two today. The other two will be next week, and they will be in tandem with one another. They will need to be heard, taught together, but there's just no way to do them all, right? So number one, what does freedom in Christ mean? Well, first of all, there's a knowledge, there's a thing you need to know. And it's what I call freedom from judgment. You know, it's, so, it's just so incredible because a lot of times people in our culture uh, live with guilt. Live with guilt. They're racked with guilt. <laughs> and, you know, I've always tried to tell people, I said, you want to know why you feel guilty? It's because you're guilty. All right, that's, a, that's, that's earth shattering. Write that down and say that I said it. But remember this, while you may be guilty, you have been set free from that. You've been forgiven. You see guys, it's not about denying that you're guilty. It's about understanding where your freedom comes from. Guys, it's not about living in denial and trying to tell yourself long enough, okay, I shouldn't feel guilty, I shouldn't feel guilty. Let's go ahead and say I should feel guilty. Right? But I need to understand who Christ is and what he did for me. Freedom from judgment. Now, there's three things under that that I want to talk about. Number one, the law can't claim you. Now, when I talk about the law, I'm talking about God's law. And we'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. And it'll make more sense why I use that term in just a minute. But the law, I'm talking about God's commands. What are God's commands there for? And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, therefore, when the therefore, when you see a therefore, you look back because therefore always refers to what's just been shared. So Paul's been talking about the, the battle he still has with sin, right? But in the middle of that, he wants you to know, therefore, even though that's true, there is now no condemnation. Now, the word know there, we don't even, we don't even have this in our, our language, right? But the word know there is, is emphatic, right? It's always like I would like to say, uh, very no. We use very to make something emphatic, all right? I know very no is not, but it, that's what it's saying. The word no there is not at all. No way, exclamation point, right? So there, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's a word that's only used three times in the New Testament, and it has to do with the sentence. Therefore, not, it's not whether you're guilty or not, it's the sentence for the guilt. And so you have then this picture of a, of a sentence, right? Wages of sin is death. So there is therefore now no sentence for those who are in Christ. Now, there is therefore now, now, it says now, so it's not something that's gonna happen a long time, it's now. Therefore, again, you don't, I mean, even though you are guilty, you don't have to feel guilty, why? Because you've been set free from it. Why should you beat yourself up anymore when Christ took it for you? That's the picture. That's what makes beating yourself up and guilt feelings off base for the believer. Why? Because Christ did what he did so that you could be delivered from it. So why wallow around it anymore when you don't have to? Does that make sense? So again, I think, I think this, whole, this whole cultural thing we have of self-image and pumping everybody up doesn't, do, doesn't really do what the gospel does. And in understanding how it delivers, it's not denying what is really there, it's accepting it, but also living in the freedom that you've been set free from it. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are <coughs> in Christ. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago and I have to take the time to, to explain it and re-explain it because you have to know what he's talking about here. What does he mean by being in Christ? Because those who are in Christ have no condemnation right now right? Because they're in Christ. Now, there was an explanation of that over in chapter six, and we talked about it at length in here, and I'm going to do just a little bit of it because I need to get you back on the page. I need to get you back on the page of what does it mean to be in Christ. Let's take a look at Romans chapter six and verse three, okay? Romans chapter six and verse three. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, I told you a few weeks ago, you see the word baptized, right? He is not referring to water baptism. So this is not about, you know, being, you know, sprinkled or have something dumped over your head or put under or whatever. It has nothing to do with water baptism. It's talking about what water baptism represents, right? You see, water baptism is just symbolic of, of something that is real. What is real is who Christ is and what he did. So what does the word baptize mean? The word baptize means to envelop or to immerse. So therefore, when you're put in the water, you are surrounded completely by the water. So what he's saying there is, do you not know that all of us, if you're, if you're in Christ, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, that is immersed in him, is that you are also immersed in his death. And you're going, what does that mean? He explains it. It means that you, he died, you died, is the picture if you're in him. All right, let's continue to explain. He, he explains it better. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism to death. So see, this is obvious we're not talking about water baptism. We're talking about somebody who's, who's dead and buried, like a grave. So we, we died with him, it says we, we were put under with him. 
Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. Therefore, we were immersed with him as he was immersed in death. Therefore, death surrounded him, right? And it says, says in order that just as Christ, right, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's not just heaven when you die. If you're in him, you were crucified with him, you were buried with him, not water, but reality. You were crucified with him, that is, he, he suffered for you, he was buried and died for you, you're in him, you died with him, and now you're raised with him. It's just to walk in newness of life. There's a different person. Amen. See guys, this is not about being religious. It's not about me up here telling you to, you know, you need to give you a whole bunch of rules of things you have to do and things that you shouldn't do, and that makes you a believer in Christ. It does not. That's the religion part of chapter two that's condemned. Not trusting in religion, but being in Christ. Guys, isn't it incredible how our world, our religious world, can so get off base here in putting their faith and trust in their little ditties? Right, their little classes and their little rituals and their little saying these things out loud and, and they trust those things as opposed to being trusting in the one who sets them free, right? It's, in, it's being in Christ is what he's talking about here. Walking in <coughs> newness of life, right? The scriptures talk about it all over the place, right? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, newness of life, new creation. Jesus called it being born again. They're all symbolisms of something that happens on the inside. Not something where you start trying to follow a bunch of rules to make yourself better. No, it's something that's, that, you know, when the, when, the, when, the, when the scriptures uses, you know, such imageries as being dead in your trespasses and sins, now you've been made alive in Christ. And you hear all of those things. It falls on deaf ears unless you understand, unless it's happened to you. Unless there's something that he has done on the inside, but the scripture teaches, right, to everyone that he calls, that calls on his name, everyone who puts their faith and trust in him, he will make a difference in their life. It is an amazing thing, absolutely an amazing thing when you take a look at it. Verse five, it says, for we have been united. I shared with you this a couple of weeks ago. We've been united with him in a death like his. What does the word unite mean? Okay, uni means one, unicycle, right? Never tried never will, all right? Unicycle that is, all right? So it means one. So to unify, okay, or to unite is to take two or more and make them one. So what is he saying there? For if we have been made one, all right, with him in his death, we shall certainly, certainly be united with them in a resurrection like this. Right? So that's what he's talking about. Therefore, being in Christ means that what he did, he did for you. And that you were there with him in, in, in understanding this because of its effect it's had on your life. Interesting. Paul says something else clear, uh, you know, just like it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is one of those quoted verses that people quote a lot. I like a lot of time people don't truly get what he's saying. But what does Galatians 2.20 say? It says this, I have, Paul's talking, been crucified with Christ. What's he talking about? Well, when you're in him, in this imagery type language, right, is that you... You put your faith and trust in him, therefore when he was crucified and died, you were crucified and died. That is the old sinful nature of who you are. That's what Christ came to do. So you have this imagery that's beautiful, really, if you can understand it. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In other words, I've been made alive in him. It's growing inside of me. That's why Jesus called his word, that is the gospel, seed. What does seed do? Seed gets in and it grows. It's an incredible thing when you begin to see the imagery of the things that happen here. 
but Christ who lives in me. And that the life I now live in the flesh, that is the simple nature, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you have then this imagery of what this means. So back to Romans chapter eight, verse one. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ. I'm not asking if you're a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist or Presbyterian or any one of them. I'm not asking if exclusion of those things matter. It's like I have somebody come up to me one time. How do you know your denomination's right? I said, you know, a lot of times they're not. But does it matter? It's not about what they think. What do the scriptures say? And the scriptures are clear. That's why I've just, I've just always wanted just to see. That's why I just like reading through what the scripture says and just explaining it to you. For those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation, not for those who, 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 who are water baptized or those who go through the catechisms or those who go to church or those who are this or those. No, it's those who are in Christ. That's all that matters. Verse two says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It no longer has hold over you. Incredible to think about. Freedom from judgment, right? Freedom from sin, freedom from death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, the scripture teaches. That's one thing that our world cannot deny is that death reigns in our, in our world, right? Death is on the horizon for everyone. Nobody likes to talk about it, but it is the truth. This is an incredible thing to think on. Number two is the law cannot condemn you. Take a look at verse three. For, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Well, what's the reason for God's commands? The question is asked earlier in Romans. Is there something wrong with the law? No, there's something wrong with us. We couldn't live by it, right? It was weakened by the flesh. What is the word flesh? The word flesh means our sinful nature that lives in us, right? It couldn't do it. Why? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Therefore, he came, obviously, as one of us. And for sin, and he contends sin in the flesh. In other words, the word condemned is the same word there, and it just means it's been sentenced to death. If you can imagine in your imagery, the sin is personified, and sin was, 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 was sentenced to death. Right? And then death was sentenced to death, if you can imagine that thought. Right? Because that's what he's talking about, just to get us so we can understand it. Right? Number three is that the law cannot control you. And this is an amazing thing for you and I to start understanding and seeing. Is one of the greatest things of understanding the wisdom that comes in the scriptures. You know, this is one of those great teachings that needs to be understood. You know, for several years before I came here, I did it, I don't know, two and a half, three years. And here, uh, about a year and a half, is that I taught something we have here. It's called CR. And, uh, but it's basically the 12-step program. A lot of you don't, don't totally understand it because you've never been a part of it. But the 12-step program is, is an incredible biblically-based steps, okay? The problem today is that they've kind of stolen, not kind of, they've stolen the power of them. But I am a, I'm a huge believer in the, the steps when you understand them. Well, what are the first three steps? Basically, I'm powerless over the things in my life that control me, right? Anybody can relate there? Sure, all right? Step number four, or really step number three, is to turn my life and will over to his care. God, it's not about, I mean, I see it. Therefore, God, I got a good look at it. I understand, I confess that's what it is. It's a, it's a struggle in my life. And then I'm gonna turn it, I'm gonna give it to you, right? And then you start working down through these steps and it's an incredible thing. If you do turn it over to him, you become his when you understand what that means. Interesting. Therefore, when you think about it, it's in verse, in verse four, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What does the righteous requirement of the law mean? See, I love stopping down through these verses and saying, what does that mean? What does the righteous requirement of the law? Okay, I found the best way as an illustration and to use something you're used to. So I'm gonna pick out a law. 
uh, in our country that most of you have broken, right? Not all of you, but most of you, right? And it's speeding, okay? I'm not saying all of you have ever broken that law, but I would say by and large, the greater majority of you have, some a lot worse than others, all right? So we have laws on our books, and we're glad we do, by the way, for speeding because it would be a total nightmare. You wouldn't even wanna be on the road if they didn't have any laws for it, right? So yes, we have laws for that, right? Now let's say that you were going 70 miles an hour in a, in a 55 zone, right? Now, clearly a violation of law. So then what would the righteous requirement of that law be? A fine, a ticket, right? I find it amazing how that when you get stopped and pulled over that you blame the police officer. <laughs> you know, why don't you freak him out one time next time you get pulled over? I'm not saying this is gonna happen to any of you, all right? But just freak him out and say, yeah, you're right, I was wrong. And then after he, you revive him, after he passes out, then, uh, then <laughs> but remember this, seriously. But that's, that's how we are. None of us wants to admit why, because we can't see ourselves. We want the cop to stop the guy who goes blowing by us at 80. But we don't think that we ought to be. Well, there's a lot of people out here a lot worse. It's incredible. It's, but it's just a microcosm of all of us, right? And the sin we deal with, some of us deal with others more than others, right? But it's the picture. So the righteous requirement of the law is a ticket. So when the cop lets you off, right? Doesn't give you a ticket. What that, what's that called? Mercy, right, very good. That is, you didn't get what you deserved. Education, it's a wonderful thing. So in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Well, how can it be fulfilled in us? Because we're in Christ and he paid for it. You see what he's saying here? These words mean, they're incredible in their meaning. You just have to stop long enough to see what they mean who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What does the word walk mean? Walk means to live, the way you live your life. The way you, the places you go, the people you spend time with, the choices you make, the things you talk about, the things you think on, the things that are important to you. Therefore, there is a difference in the life of one who is a believer versus one who is not. There's a difference between, in the life between one who is in Christ and one who is not, right? And to be honest, it is fairly easy to tell the difference. I cannot judge, we, none of us can judge, but it is fairly easy to tell the difference. Unless somebody is a brand new believer and they're just starting to learn, Right? They're just starting to grow. There still has a lot of immaturity and learn to grow. But usually it, usually it is extremely easy to tell. Number two, and this is be the last one we talk about, is freedom from sin's control. Now, I've already talked about that. I talked about the CR and the 12 steps. And I have found that so much of it is, is discovering who you are in Christ and who he's called you to be and the strength that he's given you to overcome. And that the things around this world do not have to control you. And so much of it is, well, you know, Jeff, that's just who I am. You know, I've had that problem for years and never been able to, to beat that. I want you to understand you have to start looking at yourself in a different way. That's who you used to be, that's not who you are now. I still struggle with that, but that's not who I am. And when you start to identify with who he is, being in Christ, because you are in him, you'll be amazed at the strength that you'll find to overcome the things in your life that you never thought possible. So under this freedom from sin's control is what I'm gonna call number one, there's only two. Number one is the, is the indwelling spirit. There's something that happens in the life of someone who is in Christ. And since you're in him, then, then the scripture teaches about his spirit that lives in you. Let's read about it in chapter eight, verse five. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, what's the flesh? That's the sinful nature. They set their mind on the things of the sinful nature. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, what's the difference? This is why I say it is so easy to tell. Well, let's just ask ourselves this question. The world in which you and I live, okay? You and I live in this world. And if you were to tell me, if I was to ask you the question, tell me what our world says is important, you know? And all kinds of things will come out because it comes in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. People, people all head after them. But one thing is, is that they, 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 seek, they seek the temporary to find permanent solutions. Does that make sense to you? That is, they seek, they, they, they seek these things. In other words, living according to the flesh. So what is it that, that our world seeks? Well, if you really wanna know, just watch the advertising industry. Why? Because they're, they're, they're selling what you really need and deserve, by the way, right? They, 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 want, they, they want to create within you, well, I have to have that, I have to have that. If I don't have that, then, I, then my life's going to be less than this, this. And so they hitch their wagons to these things, this stuff. It comes in all shapes and sizes, right? But usually it has to do with, with stuff you can buy, you know, which money becomes a real big deal, right? And and work, you know, as far as having things, having stuff, having relationships, uh, sexual type things, that becomes now a huge need in our culture. Not, not a need, but a huge thing people are running after, you know, about this, 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 and this. And so you have all these things around you. And what happens is, is that you think, is that when you set your mind on the things in this world, it never has what it takes to come through. C.S. Lewis called it the, you know, uh, the hole in the soul, right? Uh, I like to call it the theory of it. Now, I'm not going to go over the whole illustration. I'm just going to tell you one. And everybody will, everybody will get it, and I've shared it before. All right, the theory of it is like when you're eight years old, right? And you think to yourself, there's this new big-time bicycle, right? Gosh, if I could just have that bicycle, I would never want anything else ever again, right? That's all, if I could just have it. And guys, I want you to know, for most people who live in the flesh, they spend their life trying to find it, right? And it's the same thing as a bicycle, it's just the toys get more expensive, right? Or <laughs> they cost you more personally. So anyway, what happens is, <clears throat> let's say that the parents of this boy buy him this bicycle and he gets this bicycle and yet for a while, it's a thrill. He thinks, yeah, this is it, this is all I need. But then he finds out pretty quick that the bicycle wasn't it. And then from the time he's eight until the time he's 88, he keeps throwing it away and trying to find a new it. Am I making sense? Therefore, we're attempting to, to use something temporary to fill a permanent need, living according to the flesh. That's why our, our world, our people who live in this world, live differently. Why? Because those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Therefore, their desire is to follow and to serve Him. You know, and it becomes a battle along the way, but it's a direction change. Listen, I've always liked to say it this way. Please, please, as a believer, you are not perfect, you're not close. But perfection is not what you're looking for, it's direction. Write it down. Not perfection because you won't be, you're still struggling, that's what the end of chapter seven taught you. But the direction of your life is to live for him as opposed for yourself and looking for it. And guys, it just takes you in different directions, right? It's an amazing thing. Verse six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It truly is an incredible thing. It's something that people long to have, but usually only get pieces, or if you will, just small segments of time. But it's the one thing that God says that it will be part of your life if you're in Christ. There will be an element of peace in your life even if you're in the middle of a storm. Why? Because this peace he gives you is not the type of peace that is, that is controlled by your circumstances. 
It has to do with what he's doing in you. Why? Because you were created to have a relationship with the God who created you and nothing else will do, right? So when being in Christ, there's life, but also there's, there's peace, being at peace. Interesting. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God, uh, to God's law. Indeed, it can't. It's not possible. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Now, guys, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, that's your opinion. How else can you interpret what that says? Is that nobody, including none of you who, who are believers, unless you're in Christ, you can't please him. You're not capable. I found that incredible to think about. Well, that's your interpretation. How else, do, I get real tired when people say that to me, by the way. How else do you do that? When you read the book of Romans, yes, there are some things that are com- a little more complicated in interpretation, but most of it's, most of it's straightforward for all there for you to read if you want to know. Interesting. So that I want you to understand that nobody is ever going to be right with God because of their own performance. Because that's why Christ had to come and do what he did. Look at verse nine. You, however, he's talking to those, those Romans who are believers. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit, God's spirit, spirit of Christ, you're not his. So if you put your faith and trust in him, he's made you alive and he lives in you is the, is the, is the teaching. Even so, well, I don't feel that. What the, feeling is beyond the the. The fact, here, the fact here that it is true, what the scripture teaches us, all right? All right? But if Christ is in you, so I find that's another thought. Not only you're in him, but he's in you. It becomes this picture. It's what it, what it shares. Therefore, it's not something. See, this is the fallacy that most people around us don't understand about us. It's about who we are, not the way we're trying to live. By the way, most of us are terrible at that, right? Well, I want to run a marathon or I want to, you know, we we come up with all these things. Some of us do okay at it. Most of us are like, you know, after the first few days, it's like, I'm not doing that. No way I'm doing that. You understand what I'm saying? So it's just a picture, but but if Christ is in you, therefore you're in him and he's in you in this particular life. It's not about the rules you follow. It's about the difference he makes in your life. Although the body is dead because of sin, therefore this thing here, yes, it continues to decay. And I find it incredible, right? I find it incredible that most people in our culture spend all of their time on their appearance not just appearance in the way they look, but the appearance of everything. When God tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Therefore, why in the world are we gonna spend all of our time and effort trying to keep something up that's going downhill? Your appearance. You may look good now, but you're not gonna look good for long. Aren't you glad you came today? If you're counting on that, you're cruising for a bruising, right? But put your effort in the things, not that degrade, but that get better, right? That grow. You see, it's a difference in the way that you live. Now, don't get me wrong. Look the best you can. I really believe you ought to look the best you can. I don't think there's anything spiritual, you know, and look, looking like a barn that needs to be painted, all right? I don't think there's anything spiritual of someone just looking sloppy and terrible. So don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying we ought to all, you know, wear burlap sacks next week. That is not what I'm saying. I think you need to look your best, but guys, if you, if you hitch your wagon to your appearance, you are fighting a losing battle. Isn't that incredible? It's the truth we need to hear as believers to not fall into the traps of putting, of putting your eggs in the basket of something that can't come through, right? But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, that is, it's fading, right? The spirit is life because of righteousness. 
Look at verse 11. If the spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's incredible to even think about. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in those who are his. It's what it says. So what is there in this life you can't overcome? That's why sin can't control you. The only way it can control you is if you let it. But you have to start understanding who you are in him. It's an amazing thing to think about. Because how a person sees themselves will determine the things that control him or her, right? Will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, here we go, who dwells in you because you are in him and he is in you. That's the whole picture of understanding Romans. And it's very simple, but it almost goes beyond the ability to comprehend too. It's an incredible, that's how you know it's God's truth. Simple yet unable to comprehend. All right, now I'm just about to be done. The final one is the, what I'm gonna call the obligation of stonship. We're his now, right? Let's read some of these. So then brothers, we are debtors, right? Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Right? But if you live according to the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. I think that's interesting. So that's part of growing in him. That is, that is learning to not allow the things in your life to control you anymore that used to control you. Interesting. Right? Interesting. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if according to the spirit, you'll put to death those, those things. Right? You will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now, some people will ask, right? Jeff, well, especially in the culture in which we live, this used to be just be taken from, you know, face value and what it was. But in our culture, is it, Jeff, why does it say sons there? Why does it say sons and daughters? Well, you have to understand why it's written, right? And, um, and by the way, I'm not in agreement and never will be with trying to make the genders neutral in the Bible when you translate them, because you lose what they're trying to say. Why does he not say sons and daughters? Because you have to understand the time in which it was written. You'll see it in just a minute. It explains it a little bit in a minute, but I want you to see it. Because at the time, daughters did not inherit. Only sons inherited. So if you're a woman here today, in actuality, you are a son. Right? One of the sons of God. Why? Because you inherit also. So he's distinguishing, because Paul was very clear that there's no difference between male, female, right? Jew, Gentile, all the rest. So, it, so why the sons thought here? This is because we're all, we're all part of this inheritance. It's an incredible thing. It, it explains it in just a second, but I wanted you to see it before I got any further. Continue to read. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I want you to understand that our world lives in fear. And one of the great ways to understand you're in him is that there is a growing sense of peace that replaces the fear as you are his, as you are in him, right? But you have not received the spirit of adoption as sons, all right? But you have received the spirit of adoption. Spirit is capitalized, so it's his spirit that lives in you. Of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Sons then, sons then. You have to understand the culture, daughters left to be part of other families, but sons stayed part of this family. Does that make sense? So then understanding then, Abba, Father, the word father is what it is. Uh, but the word Abba is just a term of endearment, much like the word daddy, right? So therefore you are his, okay? As a son, you are his, okay? Children. Says so the spirit, God's spirit himself bears witness with ours that we're his children. The inner testimony that we're his. And if children, then heirs. See where the heirs comes up here? And if heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Interesting how it works, huh? Therefore, we're in him. 
And he is, in this picture, God's son. Therefore, we are all sons in this picture, heirs, children, joint heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Provided we suffer with him. What does that mean? This is how easy it is to, to miss these things. Does that mean that all of us need to go out and try to suffer? You know, some, some folks think that it's a spiritual thing to, to even beat themselves up, right? Is that what he's talking about? No, 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 no. It's about being in Christ, right? And that he was crucified and he suffered, right? We're in him, so we were crucified. I am crucified with Christ. I suffered, I died, and I rose because I'm in him. So suffer with him and also be glorified with him. So that's, what the, that's the thought there. So as I close, I've got to push pause. There's, again, there's two more, uh, these thoughts in this. But what I want you to see today is who you are in him, if you indeed are in him. Guys, that's why when I share with you every week, if you're a believer or not, has nothing to do with if you're a Baptist or a Methodist. I say that so many times, but I'm convinced most people think it has to do with being a part of this denomination or who's right and, and, and I, there's so many and everybody has a different idea. Just read through. That's why I wanted to do Romans because it is so clear God's message to you. Unadulterated from any other group, it just shares his message to you by grace through faith, right? The scripture teaches us that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is salvation, right? It's an incredible thing to put together. Nothing you can do because he's done it. So if there's never been a time in your life, the question is not whether you are trying to live a good life. The question is, are you in Christ? And there's only one way to be in Christ, and that's to put your faith and trust in him. So if there's never been that time in your life, you want to know what that even means. Not what we think, but what does the scripture mean? There's always some people up here afterwards who love to talk with you. Don't let that bother you, right? But I, I've, just, I've just learned through the years that I've, I've had people tell me, you know, Jeff, I really wanted to talk to somebody after the service, but I couldn't find anybody. Okay. If you want to talk to somebody, they're right here. And they'll love to talk with you about it. They're not going to talk about what they think, but what does the scriptures teach? But as a believer today, there's part of you needing to understand who you are and not believe the lies. And most of the time, the worst lies that you have to hear are inside your own head. And understanding who you are and start learning to live in the freedom that he has already given to you. That is, is in the greatest thing you can do as a testimony to him.